Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Few things are more devastating than a loved one that's gone missing. From Wondery, The Vanished is a podcast where host Marissa Jones tells stories of missing persons that have gone overlooked. She seeks out the real story from friends and family, hoping to help them find their loved ones or at least a sense of peace. Listen to The Vanished podcast wherever you get your podcasts, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app. Welcome back to Reasonable Doubt, the podcast. My name is Rob Rosen. I'm the creator and executive producer of Reasonable Doubt. And I'm Fatima Silva, criminal defense attorney and co-host of Reasonable Doubt. And I am Detective Chris Anderson. I'm a retired homicide investigator and co-host of Reasonable Doubt. Guys, Guys, I just want to take a moment. We have a wrongful conviction. Okay, it happened. Listen, we know you're all mad out there in TV land. You're all saying, we've been watching this show for weeks and you guys haven't helped anyone. First of all, we have helped plenty of people in the meantime. I hope you understand that. Giving families the truth is absolutely helping them. But yes, we are just as excited as you are that... Actually, I don't know how excited though, right? This is one of those where you're like, the justice system got it wrong. Right. Absolutely. You know, this has been a long time coming. Uh, this case, if you've watched the episode, you see how uh, disheartening this case is. It was hard for me to watch it. You know, it's one of those cases that is a law enforcement officer. You not only question everything that they did in this case, but it makes you go back and think about some of the other cases that you have investigated to see. Have you done every single thing that needs to be done in order to prosecute somebody? It's, it's mm-hmm. just one of those types of questions. I mean, if you don't if you don't look at this case as a law enforcement officer, as an investigator, and you're not changed by it, you need to go back and watch it again. Well, we've got a lot to unpack here, a lot to discuss. Um, I have to give the warning that I do every single week on this podcast. If you haven't watched the show yet. Spoilers, well, we've already spoiler. we, we've already given you the biggest spoiler. But there's yeah. a lot more spoilers coming. So please pause the podcast, watch the episode and come back to us. If you did see it, we're just going to give you a little bit of a refresher. November 14th, 1995. Sunnyside, Washington. 24 year old Jose Areola and his girlfriend, Ophelia, arrive home from shopping. Ophelia takes their baby and heads to the front door. For some reason, Jose stays in his truck. Moments later, two shots ring out. Adeola is hit. Within hours, he'll be declared dead. The key witness is the victim's girlfriend, Ophelia. She says she saw a teenager and a young kid walking towards the truck. But with no further evidence, the case goes stone cold. May 1996. There's a break. A paid informant points the finger at a 15-year-old gang member, Evaristo Salas. Police quickly arrest him. December 1996. Evaristo goes on trial for murder. There is no physical evidence in the case. Prosecutors rely on the testimony of Ophelia Gonzalez, who now says she clearly remembers seeing Evaristo at the scene. And that person she identified was Salas. After a five-day trial, 
the jury convicts. Evaristo is sentenced to 33 years in prison for first-degree murder. He has been fighting for his freedom ever since. Can I just uh, start by applauding Chris and his Espanolo skills? Ariola, Evaristo. I love it. So, so uh, I'll be the first one to say that you deserve a stipend for the <laughs> training uh, and the pronouncing uh, words. Just imagine, guys, for just a few minutes, a guy from the South who does, despite what some may think, has a heavy uh, uh, Southern accent. <laughs> in case you haven't noticed. <laughs> and Fatima in my room telling me how to pronounce these names. And it was hard because Chris, give, us, give, give, I... us a, give us a never restore. Wait, wait, wait. Because I can never do it. What's the number one word I taught you? Orale, vato. Orale, vato. Orale. <laughs> so, 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 yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, man. So, Evelisto, uh, Ariola. And who was the other one? Ophelia. Uh, that is so good. Ophelia. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is really good. I'm from the South and we don't even have R's in our vocabulary. So me being able to roll an R, it was amazing so for me. You. <laughs> I feel so, I feel like I failed. Fatima, you tried with me and I'm from oh, the Northeast. You. And like, look, we say ca for car. I, I, do <laughs> I don't know how to roll an R. You were like, oh, really? Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's wicked hat. I can't do it. The worst, Rob. But it was it was really good, and I wanted to make sure we got these names right because it would just sound so bad if I had not had that (laughs) intense Spanish. I think they all appreciate that for sure. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. So, so let's talk about Debbie and Vanessa. First, uh, first impressions. I mean, they they obviously are so devoted uh, to Avaristo and to the cause. What, What did you guys think when you sat across from them? I think saying they were devoted is an understatement. These girls could not look. You see just a minor bit of crying in the in the uh, opening uh, opening of the episode when we're talking to the two sisters, but there was not a whole lot of of talking that we could do without somebody crying because it was so hard to to get through the interview they they are hurt they are they are seriously hurt by their brother's conviction and after going through the case i absolutely understand why it was so interesting i really enjoyed both of these sisters because what they brought to the table was the two different personalities that we get when we interview loved ones going through this right we had mm-hmm. One of them is so bitter, so angry, wants to see her brother free and wants everybody to see that it's been a wrongful conviction and she hates the system for doing this to him. And she just, she cannot live her life with joy and freedom and happiness because she's so bound by what's happened to her brother that she's right there with him. And you can tell it is just a very difficult life that she's living with him behind bars. So I'm specifically specifically speaking about Debbie here, because she is the older sister, you can tell. She probably feels this way because she was more of the mother figure. Their mom wasn't really around. So she felt uh, a responsibility to mother him better. Uh, She felt a responsibility to stir him in a different direct, steer him in a different direction rather than where he ended up. Then we have Vanessa, the younger sister, and she is a woman of faith and she is a woman of forgiveness. She is a woman who practices waking up each day, starting your day fresh, uh, you know, looking at life, having a, a beautiful outlook on your day and hoping for the best. So although she is devastated that her brother is behind bars, she's also about helping him well behind bars, find freedom, helping him find faith, find strength despite the circumstances. And these are the two kinds of families. These are the two kinds of personalities we often sit across when meeting with these families. So I appreciated both of them being honest in where they are. And you can understand each of their point of view. So we found out from the family that Evaristo joined a gang at 12 years old, uh, that he he admitted to Chris that he did carry a knife, a gun at one point. A question for both of you. How much, if at all, should someone's past be considered uh, when they are charged with a crime like this? 
I don't think they should be considered at all unless it's a prior conviction uh, that, uh, you know, that falls into uh, what the law states. But if they took my past and used my past against me in a court of law, I may not be as a detective that I am today. None of us probably would. I mean, you know, you shouldn't be judged by your past. You should only look at the facts of the case, uh, what happened in that case, and and judge it from there. Nothing else should be a part of it unless it falls within the rules of law. Well, let's talk a little bit briefly about, because it's a good point that you make, Rob, about how much of a person's past should come up. And I think it depends on who's looking at the case, who's reviewing this, uh, and who's considering these things. We know that when we take these cases and we look into them, we want to know everything. So we do consider a person's past. Uh, Absolutely, somebody's involvement in gangs is going to matter, right? Because in gangs, you don't necessarily need a motive. Your motive is loyalty to the gang. Hey, go take out somebody's uh, brother. Uh, because they, you know, they took out one of ours. All right, that's what you got to do. You don't even really need to know the person. We know that's how gangs work. And so in a case like this, it does matter. Now, for purposes of, of the of the court, this is what a lot of people need to understand when it comes to the courtroom, the kind of evidence that can be allowed in when it comes to somebody's past that's not necessarily conviction. It really depends. It can come in to prove things such as habit or motive. But other than that, it's pretty limited. So if somebody has something that's just unrelated and it's a prior bad act, it it may not come in. And that's where your attorneys really got to fight to keep it out because people can be judged on their past. Absolutely. The jury knew this young man was involved in a gang and there's no way they didn't consider that as part of his history. You just can't say it, it wasn't built in. That's part of the, the prosecution's case. And they're allowed to bring it in because when you're part of a gang, once again, that's enough motive uh, that you're already associated with it. So it was difficult, I think, um, in, in first getting this case, because when you had mentioned it involved a gang, I've grown up in an area where there, there's, there were a lot of gangs. And I know plenty of people that were involved in gangs. I know that they were willing to do whatever they had to do for the gang, even at a young age. So at first in taking this case, it's like, hmm, well, we definitely have the possibility already. We definitely already have a possible motive. Of course, you want to look into everything, but I felt like it was going to be an uphill battle. And it was at first until you start looking at the evidence they actually had against him. Then, surprisingly, started to crumble. So I want to make sure that people understand what I mean, that their their prior history shouldn't come into play. What I'm meaning is it shouldn't come into play in in a court of law. Mm -hmm. So speaking of his history, Chris, in probably one of my favorite interviews of the entire season, um, you spoke to two gang members who were in Evaristo's gang, Manuel and Jose. (laughs) And I have to say, I felt like I was on an episode of Breaking Bad, like I expected Walt White to come out of the door any second now. And uh, it was kind of awkward. I have to go and do pickups, right? So if people talk over each other, if the question I don't know, they reminded me more like training day, but yeah. Okay, so... (laughs) It was awkward. Here I am, a middle-aged Jewish guy coming up. Um, Manuel, could you um, answer that a little bit more clearly? You were mumbling just a little bit. Now, they purportedly had an alibi uh, for Evaristo, but I have to say, at least as far as I could see, it really wasn't too much of an alibi. Do you remember seeing Evaristo at all the day of that shooting? I was junior. When you guys say junior, that's Evaristo's nickname. Am I correct? Yeah. You were with him that night? Yeah. Tell me about it. But I can remember our words in his room, getting high, smoking some weed. Now, the shooting happened at 6.30 in the evening. Are you sure that you and Evaristo were together during that time? I don't know exactly what time it was. I remember we are just getting high. I take it as a defense attorney for Tima. You, you wouldn't be able to do all that much with that. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean... <laughs> There's always, listen, if you're getting high, guys, you're not going to remember details. Come on. That's the point of getting high. Just let it all hang, you know, just forget about what time it is and just relax. Right. But um, I mean, no, they, here's the thing with these guys that I appreciate sometimes, uh, not if they were my client, but if there's somebody else who this has happened where I have. <laughs> 
this is where I have clients who they want to bring in somebody else who's willing to attest to their whereabouts or something like that. And the other person, you know, basically is incriminating themselves and other, not in the crime, but in other possible charges. And you tell them, listen, that's not the smartest thing. You may want to consult an attorney before you come forward on behalf of your friend to say, no, we were busy off doing this, committing this crime and not this, this one that they're <laughs> accused of. And they're like, no, 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 it's good. I'm, I'm good. And it's like, no, really just make sure you consult an attorney before you even sign this because, but here's the thing that I like to tell people, or I like to just point out to the prosecution, listen, this person, if they were lying, they would take out all the bad and they would just make it, Hey, yeah, we were just hanging out. We were playing video games, you know, probably right. drinking some soda pop. That's not but what he was there, but, he, but, he, but he wasn't even really clear on the time. You're like six 30. And he's like, uh, you know, I don't know yeah. that day. He really couldn't even give us a location, <laughs> but you know, like when I speak to those, to, to guys like that, the former gang members, you have to take everything that they say with a grain of salt because, you know, look, in most cases, these guys are going to do everything they can to protect their brother. So when they said they were home smoking weed with Evaristo during that time of this murder, you know, I look at it the same way I would as if somebody said that they were home alone or if they're on their friend's front porch sleeping after Chris, a night of, of, of uh, drinking. You know, I feel these, like these you take the... what everyone says with the grain of salt. I feel no, like you're it, at it, home telling your wife, I'm taking that with a grain of salt. I'm with Chris on that. Like, I mean, after years of journalism, I don't believe what would you all do me. without me? Uh, you are you are the the, the one the, the balancing piece in this whole thing. But no, you know, these I appreciate these guys even coming forward because look, there were a lot of people that were involved in this case that like it was not easy to get them to come forward. So for them to even say that, I, I can appreciate it. I'm going to listen to it and I'm going to talk about, I'm going to question you about uh, your whereabouts. And then whatever you say, I'm going to have to compare it to what we have, you know. So the problem in this case, the biggest problem in this case is there's just a, not a lot of evidence that connected Evaristo to this case. By the way, my favorite part of that interview, Chris, is at the uh, before the first commercial break when you were saying, um, "Did you guys use rocks or knives?" And he's like, "I, I prefer, prefer knives." knives. Yeah. Oh my god, I love that. <laughs> it really is like something out of Breaking Bad. <laughs> he, at least he was honest about it. You know, he could right? said, I don't, I don't throw rocks. I don't cut nobody. Right. I don't do I've none of that stuff. I've never heard of that. You know, they, so they that's a little bit more right. credibility to what they said. So. I think that um, one thing to keep in mind uh, with this episode and, and, and really with this case is that the prosecution's case basically came down to Ophelia. There was really nothing else, right? Nothing else that was credible. Ophelia. Sorry, I had to. <laughs> so um, there was your Northern California coming through doing some lumineers, right? Lumineers. You spoke, Fatima, to a juror. As you know, we've been contacted by Evaristo's family to look into this case because they believe there's a game-changing piece of evidence that was never brought up in trial. So the victim's girlfriend, the star witness in this case, she went and took the truck where the victim was murdered from the impound without permission. She then had it cleaned and sold it before any evidence could ever be collected from it. Please actually consider charging her with obstruction. Were you ever made aware of this in trial? We, we never were. Would that have influenced your decision at all? Definitely. I would have questioned it. Knowing what you know now, would your decision to convict Avaristo Salas change? Yes. It would probably have been not guilty. It's just there's too much doubt. Oh, these, these kind of interviews, they kill. So it's really disturbing to hear that he held out as long as he could. And his deciding factor in the end was that Ophelia was so sure about the identification of Evaristo. She was so sure it was Evaristo she saw that night. Wow. How many times have we heard jurors say, well, the expert just came across as so certain, so sure, so positive. I can't emphasize this enough. What it comes down to oftentimes convictions is simply the certainty, the, um, the testimony and how a person appears confident in their testimony. That can be such a huge factor for the jury. Here you've got a case, Chris, where you've got one witness who's very sure of herself, but it's one witness. And that's basically the entire case. 
Um, what are the landmines, especially when you're dealing with the only way that she got to the identification was through hypnosis, which I've never heard of before. And I know you were shocked about it too. Yeah, man, I can just see so many problems and questions of bias that, that a defense attorney, a, a decent defense attorney would throw at you as an investigator. Why would you bring in a hypnosis? You had to, you had to, why would you bring in a hypnotist? You you had to convince this person of who they saw. Oh my gosh, it just it would be so bad. But he, he, here's the problem that I see, uh, and and not you know I, I appreciate the juror coming in. I appreciate any juror coming in. But here's the problem that he stated himself that the paid informant seemed to to talk like a like this this whole court system was a joke uh, that he really didn't care you know and that to me seems like somebody that's making a mockery of, the, of our court system you know but the informant uh, was okay. making a mockery but it's good right. that the juror said we didn't consider his testimony didn't, he, didn't he say didn't, didn't he say like he suffered from crs can't remember shit <laughs> he did say that in court <laughs> i have crs can't remember shit so right. so yeah but that but his, her, his statement is the only thing that corroborates uh Ophelia statement. When we were, when, when I was they investigating didn't need cases, it, though. they didn't need his statement with or without it. Ophelia's identification of Evaristo was enough for them. Yeah. But see, look, look, if, if she can't come in and say that I'm 100% absolutely positive the very first time that she's shown a, a, a lineup, then it, where I work, that wouldn't be enough. Because now she's given two or three different statements, right. so that's that's the reason why I say that his statement was how was what was used to help corroborate her statement. And if this guy's not credible, if he's the type of person that doesn't care, then her testimony should not have been allowed. In my opinion, if she can't say that he she is one hundred percent positive the very first time, then her statement is not credible to me. Here's the that's thing: right. at least give the jury the option. Tell them mm -hmm. this person has been hypnotized. This is how she yeah. made the identification. That is absolutely concerning because it was not left to a jury. Her credibility was based on her own recollection, and they should have known that her recollection was based on hypnosis. In every case that I've investigated, my witnesses had to be 100% absolutely positive that this is the person that was responsible for this crime. There's no 85%, there's no 90, there's no 99.9% .9 that she has, you know, they have to be absolutely right. positive. If that if that is the, the only piece of evidence that they have, she has to be absolutely positive. Then I don't know. I guess, I guess my question is this. We've had three cases. We've done this for four seasons now. We've done 40 cases. We've had three cases of single identification witnesses, one witness that basically put someone away. And we got behind all three cases. And we've done enough tests now to see that witness identification, especially if it's someone that you don't know, is really sketchy. So you really wonder at this point, how do you go to trial to put somebody away for life when you have nothing, you have no physical evidence, you've got one witness. That is, and look, Chris, you and I are cynical. People have their own reasons for testifying any which way that they testify. How can you put somebody away on the basis of that and nothing else? Look, I've been a part of too many investigations where I have seen where there is, you know, not that not the the, the single ID witnesses cases uh, should not be the standalone evidence in any case, unless there is a prior relationship between the victim and the suspect or the witness that's making that identification. But we have to understand that the only way that they're going to get a conviction is if Ophelia is absolutely sure. And she right. says on the witness stand that I will never forget his face because the jury will, well, I won't say uh, all juries, but some jurors will not convict when they when she's not if she's not absolutely certain right right oh no and nor and nor should they but i really nor should they absolutely but if but if they're using critical thinking and they see that there is no other evidence uh, it contradicts the eyewitness testimony of other people who are at the scene mm -hmm. of the crime who saw sort of a larger guy getting into his car um a little right, this, this reminds me a lot of tina trout in the michael crump case mm -hmm. it's very similar to me
Right. Right. Let's talk about these other defense witnesses. And this was uh, another issue for me is we have a lot of defense witnesses who testify on behalf of Evaristo and they're juveniles. They're young kids. They're not even juveniles. They're children who were nearby who say that they heard yelling. They heard a fight before they heard the gunshots. And several of them uh, testify. We heard someone yell, Ricardo, leave him alone. So they had been, I think law enforcement had been looking for a guy named Ricardo for a while. But they all testified that they heard people fighting prior to the gunshots. And some other folks testified that uh, there was somebody from across the street who testified that they saw somebody who looked older uh, who ran by the house. And, And a lot of people said the people that they had seen outside looked older. They weren't, you know, young teenagers. So the story just doesn't, Ophelia is the only one who points out Evaristo and says it was this young man. It was somebody of the age of about 14. That doesn't fit with any of the other descriptions that are given. And there's no reason these other people really had incentive to lie. They're young kids who I think were nearby with their parents who don't even know Evaristo, um, who are dragged into this to testify. And so what's their incentive? They heard fighting right before the gunshots went off. They heard a name yelled. There's just so much that doesn't sit well with me and Ophelia's behavior. The obstruction of justice charges are because she goes and she takes the truck. This is the truck that he was murdered in. The only piece of evidence the officers have, they hadn't conducted a full investigation on this truck. They hadn't taken all prints or they hadn't looked throughout the truck or done any of that yet. It was a few days later that she goes down to the impound yard and says that she, I don't even know how this happens to be honest, but she's because over here, if you're trying to get your car, there's no way without law. Chris, have you ever heard of something like that happening? Absolutely not. No, we have such protocols. There are a lot of protocols when it comes to a homicide investigation. As a matter of fact, if I had had a victim that was killed inside of a vehicle, that vehicle would immediately be sent to lock up and it will be put up under lock and key where nobody at the courtyards or nobody at the the junkyards or or any uh, uh, body that was assisting law enforcement could get hold to because that's that's how that that's just the proper procedure because you don't you never know how long you're going to need those vehicles. Hell, I've had cases that we've held on to vehicles for years and they've been in lockup under lock and key and you've got to maintain a chain of evidence. So you've got to know anybody that's come in that room or touch that vehicle. So having a vehicle that was out and in a place where somebody could just go in and, and get well, a vehicle. Well, she just went up to the clerk and yeah, said, and I oh, they told they me had... you can release it to me. So no, they released it. They didn't they even really... double check. No, that is, that is, that, that and is. They release it to her. She has it cleaned immediately. And, so, and she sells it. I had asked the brother too. I had asked Jose's brother, listen, you knew Ophelia. She was part of your family at that time. Maybe trying to give her the benefit of the doubt. You know, she's a young mother. Maybe she needed this car. She, she definitely probably needed a car to get around. The police are, who knows, taking too long perhaps, but she says, screw it. I need to get this car. I need money. I need another car. So I have to do this. But according to him, he says, we didn't know she did that. And she, we had, we had money for her. She had people. She, we could have taken her places. She had plenty of resources that she wouldn't have to do that. So that was really out of, that was out of left field for him too, as to why she did it. And he's always wondered. Fatima, I want to play a clip from that interview. It was with Vince, uh, Jose's brother. And that was probably one of the more difficult interviews you did this year, because um, even though he's starting to have some doubts that the right person is behind bars, uh, for a long time, he was just angry and he was just happy that someone is being held accountable. But um, if you could describe your experience talking to someone who is still carrying the weight and the pain of, of... having a loved one murdered. He was, he was, he was taken away from me. I wasn't prepared. We weren't prepared for this. He was taken away from us. He didn't die of sickness. He didn't die of cancer. He was murdered. Sorry. No, don't. Don't say sorry. This is tough, I know. You never get over it. You ain't ever gonna get over it. I ain't gonna get over it, he's my brother. 
Oh, I'm sorry, Vince. <laughs> Oh, Vince, you carry so much heartbreak. I think I have a lot of anger with having to lose my brother still. I can't get over it. Oh, Vince, Vince, Vince. That man was so broken. These interviews with the loved ones are always really tough. And I don't know why I'm the one who has to do them. <laughs> Chris, I want you to do one of these one day. Um, No, you handled them very well. Your eyeballs will get so sweaty. No, I, Vince, God bless him. I pray for him so much. He had a lot. You, You can tell he just, he's never gotten over this. He has so much healing left to do. And sometimes when you talk about these things, it can bring healing. Mm-hmm. I hope that in a way, him opening up about his hurt, his pain, and how Rock still is, and, and his doubts even on whether or not they have the right man. I hope that some of this brings him some sense of healing and that he continues. You know, I encouraged him to go and talk to someone because I, I believe he still has so much healing left to do, so much grieving that would help him because his heart was just breaking so much. You can tell he's holding on to so much of this every day. And I don't know if he's able to live his life to the, the, the full extent. And you never will when you lose someone. I lost my brother. And I think about him every day. And it's not something you ever get over. It's something that for me, it does make me stronger. For me, it does bring more empathy and compassion towards other people. So I'm sure it also does that for Vince, but I have not lost my brother to a murder. Mm-hmm. So I cannot imagine that kind of pain. It, it's, it's, it, his tears just, uh, I'd say they were evidence of what all the victims, loved ones have been through. And I was, I applauded him for sitting down and opening up to us about everything he was very honest. He was very raw. I didn't feel like he held anything back. So I just really appreciated his interview. He gave us a lot of insight about Jose, Ophelia, and his doubts on Evaristo. Yeah, one thing that I noticed about Ben, and this is this stands true with, with most men, a lot of the times we will take hurt and we'll just package it away. We'll still suffer from it on a daily basis, but uh, we just package it away. So I think sometimes it takes an interview like this to to make you realize that you're still hurting. And I'm hoping something that you said during that interview maybe maybe helped him to go on and move forward and try to seek out some help to talk about it. Because talking about it is the one way to help us understand that hurt. Because most of the time, look, I'm I'm a I've said it time and time again. I'm one of those guys that, you know, that uh, package away hurt. And uh, it, it takes me to talk about it and, and understand it and help. That, that, that's the one thing that helps move me forward. But that was a, I was very surprised in that interview when you talked to him that he said that he had problems with Evaristo's uh, uh, conviction also. The, sad, the saddest thing about this case is I, I don't, believe that it was Evaristo that evening, but I'm not so sure if Ariola's family is ever going to get justice. Unless somebody's heart has changed over all these years and somebody wants to come forward and say, I heard so-and-so confess to this, or even it was me who had committed this crime. I'm afraid well, well, that that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. <laughs> right. Hey, you know, it's, it's happened in certain cases. It has, the it the has. central park five case. That was somebody who actually right, was saying well, it's been, hey, it was it's me. Been 20, it's been um, 25 years. So, right. But, but once again, some people, they get a change of heart. They find the Lord who knows, but bottom line is I, I do worry based on such little evidence that they had that if it's not Evaristo, then this family won't have that peace. But like he said, it's not bringing peace knowing that this person who is behind bars is possibly the person who didn't do it. He, you know, it's likely he's innocent if the only piece of evidence that sealed his fate was based on a hypnotized identification. 
So you guys know I love to play devil's advocate. Now, you finally got a chance to talk to Evaristo, and he was smooth. He had great answers. He's very well-spoken. He's uh, done a lot of studying and a lot of self-improvement in, in prison. How do you know when it's sincere or whether someone is trying to work you? Had you not been charged with this murder that you were on a track to head to prison? Yeah. I would have either been dead or in prison, probably within that same year that you have. I have to say, you don't seem bitter. I was angry for years. I was angry at the system. I hated life for these 15 years. But there came a point in my life where I had to decide. I had to say to myself, I cannot live this way anymore. I cannot hate people. I refuse to hate. And that's just another prison right there. You know, what I see out of him is growth. He, he answered every question correctly. Um, and, and most convicts don't help themselves by, by their statements. You know, it, it, this is one of those cases where I didn't expect him to have a whole lot of answers for, you know, his whereabouts that night because he's already given those answers. You know, he, he thinks that he may have been at home uh, drinking and smoking and he, he could have been anywhere else. But he definitely said that he was not a part of this homicide. So everything else was kind of a character type question uh, that, I, that I gave him. So, you know, is this a case where I can absolutely say that Everisto absolutely did not do this? No, it's not. But can I say that Everisto should not have been convicted of this case? Yeah, I can right. say that. I felt his interview was so powerful. This is someone who, when you asked him about his past, admitted to all of it. You asked him about ever using a gun, admitted to a situation where he did use a gun. Um, you know, when, when he had said that, I think they were being uh, attacked by some other guys and there was a gun nearby. And so he shot, he fired back. Um, asked him about his involvement in the gang and he admitted to being part of it. So it's not often that when we are interviewing these convicts that they are willing to admit to all the negatives. They try to paint a different picture, different reason. There's a, oftentimes you have to back them into a corner to get them to admit, yeah, I was upset or yeah, I did this. But with Evaristo, it was different. He was very forthcoming with all of it and honest and it felt real. I don't know. We, I'm, we could have been getting played, but it felt very real. So real that I I looked at all the crew and a lot of them had tears in their eyes listening. And oh, yeah. our crew is completely jaded now. They're no, just no. Like, I felt I felt emotional. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I, but I our but camera I, guys I, always have opinions, and a lot of times they're yeah. like, I, I, guess my, you know. I guess my question is, when you really get past it, right? This one was a pretty easy case for you guys. You had a one witness case, and this witness was flawed, to put it kindly. So it was easy. I guess my question is, it's the subjective part, right? Where, because if you had a, and I'm not saying Evaristo is this, but if you have a very slick sociopathic type of killer, they know the right things to say. They could say those things. They could say, I've learned, I've grown, I miss my family. They know how to charm you. And I guess my question is, how do you weigh those things when you're getting well, those kinds of- Well, the sisters also- the sisters also verified, you know, to answer that, the sisters also said there were years he was angry and bitter, wanted to die. He was, his life was in danger. And we knew that he was actually having to commit crimes behind bars or he was, you know, they felt like he had been committing things possibly that um, were out of his character just to survive. He had a lot to say about the choices he made, how regretful he is, how uh, I think he started to cry when he spoke about his father and letting his father down. Uh, that was very difficult because you could hear that for him, the only person who really, truly believed in him was his father. And he has so much regret about choices that he made only up to the age of 14. That's how old he was when this happened. So that's a lot of pressure to put on a young person, but yet he still puts that pressure on himself. He still says, I should have made different choices, but I just think he's an inspiration even behind bars still that somehow someone needs to get yeah. in and speak to young people thing, who will change lives. You know, I, I said this, I think I told the sisters this, that I think Everdy still serves this community much better in, 
out of prison than he does in prison because this kid, this young man or this man is very well spoken and he could really change a few lives if they hear his story, you know, because he's, he doesn't speak of how bitter he is. He, he, he told me a little bit about it when we were during, during our conversation, but he, he, he's very well spoken. And I don't think that, I don't think that that was just spin, Rob. I'm going to be honest with you because. I, and, and by the way, just heard, for the record, I don't, I don't think it was right, either. I agree right. with you guys. I'm posing the question because I think well, some people are going to watch realize that right. you're playing, just playing devil's advocate. <laughs> well, Rob. I, mean, oh, when I don't just don't you? think that I don't. I don't think that that's fair. We've heard we've heard convicts right. that have tried to spin us that, and, and and they've never come off like this. All right. Well, when you finally were able to tell Vanessa and Debbie that you guys wanted to get behind the case, such an emotional moment. I mean, I think everybody felt it. Everybody on the crew felt it. Uh, Chris, I know the lights were shining directly into your uh, into your eyes as that sometimes happens. Um, We're going to take a short break. When we come back, Vanessa and Debbie are going to join us and update us on the case. You're listening to the Reasonable Dad podcast. We will be right back. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Few things are more devastating than a loved one that's gone missing. From Wondery, The Vanished is a podcast where host Marissa Jones tells stories of missing persons that have gone overlooked. She seeks out the real story from friends and family, hoping to help them find their loved ones or at least a sense of peace. Listen to The Vanished podcast wherever you get your podcasts, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app. Welcome back to the Reasonable Doubt podcast. We are talking about the Evaristo Salas case. And joining us, Chris Fatima, we've got Vanessa and Deborah. Hey, Vanessa Hi, and Deborah. How y'all doing? Hi. We're Hi. good. Hi. How are you? Oh, this is going great. You know, it's good to hear y'all's yeah. voice. Yeah. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. How are you guys doing? Oh, we're doing really good, actually. Yeah, really we are. We're doing good. Give us some updates. Well, um, we have, we've been having court dates actually. Um, so that's moving along. Um, we what had are the one court dates post- about? Yeah. Well, actually I think what it is is we're trying to see if we can question, uh, a couple of, uh, well actually Rivard and Ophelia and I guess they're putting every stop they can, you know? So that's yeah. why we're going to court. Things are moving, so for us, that's exciting. Things are moving. That's that is, all we wanted was things to start moving. That is great to hear. I'm, I'm interested yes. in, in hearing about what these uh, court hearings do because yes, uh, yes. 
and, yes. and, and, and they are just you, you're just having those so you can uh, question the two people, the the, uh, the detective, uh, if that's right. Bavard, that was the detective. Yes. Uh huh. OK. And, and then Ophelia, Junior's lawyer is she said she's going to be she's going to be a bulldog. So I <laughs> I believe her. Well, she has been, and she's been a great advocate for him. Oh, yeah, she has been. She's been doing really good because we have, we have been in some of the Zoom um, court, you know, hearings, Mm -hmm. and she's been, she's been doing really good. She's been doing awesome. So I'm so thankful for her. How's Evaristo holding up? Oh, he's doing pretty good, actually. Um, At you know, um, he was doing, he was having his moments again. You know, to the point where he was like, you know, um, I'm kind of tired already. I just, just let me finish my time, you know, this and that. But we're like, no, you can't do that. And he's like, oh, I know, but it's just so hard. But and then he started feeling upbeat. And the next thing you know, it things just started moving. And now he's, he's, he's much better. He's more, um, he's more focused again and he's more excited and he's just having, you know, he's just doing really good now. And so I hope he just, keep that faith you know and not give up yeah, yeah tell him to stay positive it, you know everybody. oh yeah he is well, and visiting are going to start opening up for us so hopefully by the end of august we're able to see him after this whole year uh-huh. so we're excited too so yeah you have to keep him motivated we see that a lot you know a lot of the guys that have been convicted of these crimes and and they they, they claim their innocence even uh, throughout their conviction and what what happens is they'll go through these highs and you know things will start moving for them and then they'll yeah. get really excited and they're, they're going to be a few more letdowns i'm just going to be honest oh, yeah. with you but he's oh, got yeah. to stay positive and stay motivated to keep working for his mm-hmm. conviction to be overturned oh yes yeah that's what I, I tried to explain to him when he was getting that way i told him but we're not giving up you can't give up you know what I mean? You have all these people behind you, so you can't give up. And he's just like, yeah, I understand. Vanessa, how are you holding up? No, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm doing good. I'm, you know, just praying for the best. You know, I know everything takes time, especially yeah, with yeah. this coronavirus too. On top of that, it's going to even be worse. But, you know, just praying for the best and hoping everything goes well, you know? Vanessa, I know faith has played a big role for you in getting you through all these years. How has it felt since meeting with Chris and I? uh, I mean, do you feel like your prayers have been answered as far as hearing that there are people on your side now? Absolutely. Um, You know, when we went on the show and you guys told us that you guys were going to help us, that was something big. You know, it, it still is. You know, it was God's answer some prayers right there. And and I know it's you know, I know we're just going to keep looking for it, but you guys really like answered a big prayer for us. Absolutely. Faith is De- there. Deborah, how about you? You you were the one who was a little bit of the, uh, the tougher cookie, the tougher <laughs> exterior. Um, That's putting you, it mildly. Have you, have you found I that know. you're, you're feeling you're a little more nice. positive? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I am. I actually am. Like I really am. Um, I, I have my days. I mean, I'm not going to say because like, Sometimes you feel like you carry what he's going through on my shoulders, but <clears throat> so I have to be stronger for him. So I'm so positive right now, just with these court dates. I know they're slowly coming, but they're coming. And I know his lawyer's pushing for them and she's not giving up. She's pushing on it. And as long as she keeps pushing, I just know that things are going to start coming, you know, our way. Like I said, I'm being so positive right now. Like there's nothing. I mean, I can't think no other way. You know what I mean? So you got to keep pressing. You got to keep pressing. Oh, yeah. You have her in your corner. You have us in your oh, corner yeah. and you're going to have a whole lot more people in your corner to keep you yeah. going when you do get discouraged because it is a long journey. It, oh, is, it is tedious and the court system is slow to begin with. But during times like this, even slower, but just keep on pressing like you have. Oh, yeah. One thing that one thing that I love about you, too, is that you all balance each other so well <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and you're going to need that. You're going to need each other. Oh, yeah. Balance okay. And keep everybody still pushing forward and keeping positive mm-hmm. about everything. Mm-hmm. So we just want to thank you both for sharing with us your episode and giving us the opportunity to look at it uh, from a independent uh, uh, perspective. And we see what you see. So we're pushing for you and praying for you. Okay. Yeah, we appreciate it so much. And like right now, we're actually on our going to be heading our way to my dad's house because it's his birthday today. 
Oh, happy birthday to Pop. Yeah, so so he's uh, he doesn't know we're going, but it's like a hundred and some degrees over here. So everybody's like, Oh, it's gonna be so hot, but we still gotta go. So, you know, have some cold beverages. Oh yeah. So my brother's excited, he's in a call. And you know, That's so good. he could say happy birthday to my dad. So we're excited. Today's uh-huh. a good day, a real good okay, day. Sure and then you guys special. call in and talking to you guys, so that's even better. So yeah. Oh. Dad, we said happy birthday. Yeah, this okay. makes me happy to hear. It does. Yeah. <laughs> thank you guys so much. All right, thank you guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you for everything. Thank you, ladies. Talk soon. Thank you. Wow! Just to just to just to make sure that people know that the uh, this this episode, man, this I mean, it was this was a very emotional time. I felt a little emotional. Wait, did you get kind of choked up right now when they were talking about going to the dad's house? You know, look, just you gotta you gotta understand that that my eyeball sweat is a condition. Yeah, (laughs) it's a condition. It's you know, there's no cure for it. It's drawn out by emotion. (laughs) <laughs> I'm I'm excited for those two, and uh, yeah. and I am so excited about their defense attorney. I know they've got they really do have a bulldog in their corner. Well, that was a uh, that was really a moving episode, um, and we'll keep them in our prayers. And I'm sure we're going to have updates for you on them next week. We've got a woman who was convicted of murdering three people in a drug robbery, but her family says she was set up. Make sure to watch that Monday night. 10 p.m. on Investigation Discovery. In the meantime, my name is Rob Rosen. I'm the creator and executive producer of Reasonable Doubt. And I'm Fatima Silva, criminal defense attorney and co-host of Reasonable Doubt. I am Detective Chris Anderson. I'm a retired homicide investigator and the co-host of Reasonable Doubt. Chris, take us out. Peace. We are out. Peace. Anderson, out. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Nickelodeon was kid everything. But that marked one of the darkest chapters. Three predators worked at Nickelodeon. It made me wonder who was being hurt. Quiet on set. An ID true crime event. Sunday, March 17th at 9 on ID and stream on Max.